Well, Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's called Talk Shop with Alan Avgi. After All the right. famous Talk Shop Tuesdays. And these are Talk Shop Thursdays. Actually, it's Friday. You could take the Talk Shop Fridays. Yeah, this is Friday. Okay. I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to start with introduction, like you introducing yourself. Obviously, I know you, and we're good friends and work together and everything. But the listeners, most of them probably don't. Uh, and shame on all of you. But fill everybody in. Tell us uh, what Mike Siemens all about. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. I started as an entrepreneur in 2000, right out of college. Uh, started my only business, although my business breaks down into many different pieces, um, and grew it from myself, added partners, removed partners, and grew it, mm, I don't know, somewhere up to over 200 people down to where we might be today at 100 or so plus people through many different acquisitions, sales, all different kinds of things. And what does the company do? Uh, digital advertising. Digital Remedy, it used to be CPX. Was there a name before that? It was called Buds Inc. before that. Buds Inc.? Buds Inc. So you tra- why did you transition three times? Um, it started as a clothing company. It turned into a comic book cartoon type company. Then it was a web design firm. Then it was whatever we could do to make money firm until it ended up being a digital advertising company because that's when digital advertising was bubbling up and was one of the first companies in the space because I just, right place, right time. I think you told me a long time ago like you were one of the first digital advertising websites or one of the first ones out or something like that? Probably. When I was playing around, when I was uh, my late teens, probably 16, 17, eh, more like 16, and the internet was just starting, um, I decided to build some websites. So I built some websites and I don't know, we were listed in like a book. There was no search engines, there was no anything. and we grew it, and then it was substantial. Like I grew it to like, I don't know, thirty thousand people would go to the websites a day. Wow! Um, which then, when no one was on the internet, was uh, pretty significant. And then one day, probably freshman year of college, advertising started becoming more mainstream. I.e., it wasn't just like one company would call you and buy an ad from you. Like there was the first networks opened up, and uh, a network started. I joined it put some ads on, spent like a whole weekend, like literally nonstop, didn't sleep, putting ad codes on literally every page because this was like before everything, before like you could code a site, before things, like literally my website was like 7,000 HTML pages. And like, it's an update, every single one by hand. So like I had to go in and then like a text editor and like paste an ad code, paste an ad code, paste an ad code. So I did that. 7,000 times and oh shit that didn't work I had to erase it 7,000 times redo it re-FTP it upload it etc finally happened and then like the next day I could log in and like check the statistics and I was like wow I made 100 bucks and so I'm freshman in college I'm like holy crap I just made 100 bucks in one day online yeah and then all of a sudden I'm making like $5,000 a month and I think the you know whatever they paid like 90 days after the month or whatever it was. And I remember coming home from class one day or late one night, whatever. And my mom's sitting there like in the couch 
she has this like angry face on. I'm like, what's up? And she's like, what is this? And I'm like, what? And she's like holding an envelope. And I'm like, I have no idea. And she's like, who is this company? Are you doing porn? Are you selling No. Drugs? Yeah, and I'm like, no. <laughs> and she's like, how the hell are you getting a check for $5,000? And I had to like explain the, in she didn't understand much when I explained it to her, but finally it was like, okay, something with internet stuff. And she was like, okay, you're doing something interesting. And, you know, it bubbled up to where it was. But then it was like, I'm 18 years old and I got a check in the mail for $5,000. It's huge. Like, a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting. She thought you were doing porn? I just thought I was doing something illegal. You must have been a, a sick kid. She thought you would consider doing porn. I could see it. No, 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 not, not myself. <laughs> she thought I was doing something on the internet with like, doing something. All right. <laughs> <laughs> not that I was actually personally doing porn, no. no. Oh my God, no. that's great. And your daddy was happy? That I was making money, yeah. That's great. Everyone was happy. And so was that like a consistent $5,000 a month? For a while until, you know, I mean, this was, you know, when the stock market crashed, when everything with pets.com and all the other bullshit brands were going public. And then at some point it all crashed and the money kind of stopped for a little while. Had to refigure out what to do. And that's when I was saying we're starting a web design firm and all kinds of other stuff we were doing to try to make money. I was tutoring kids in high school out of college because just to make ends meet, yeah. to pay for an apartment, to do stuff while we were still trying to make the internet work. That was, so you were getting, what were the rates per CPM back then? Was that like a thing? Yeah, they were still good. Yeah. $4, $5, they're better than they are now, that's for sure. Really, wow. In the beginning, yeah, but you didn't have, you know, now you sell every, like, every ad. Like, someone comes to your site on a cell phone from, like, Taiwan, and there's an ad for them. Yeah. Then, you could have mainstream people from the US and you, know, you wouldn't have ads, like you'd run out. So yeah, you might get $5 CPM, but for like 5% of your traffic because there just wasn't enough advertisers. But what, what made the transition into ad tech? Like how did you go from selling clothes to ad tech? Because ad tech's not like, a, you know, I want to be an ad tech, you know? I mean, I think it was just a natural, pro I, you know, it was more like a hustler's pro progression. It was like, I was, I had these websites I created that got a lot of traffic, sold advertising on them. And then I was like, at some point I was like, I can only grow the traffic so much. And I wanted more. It's like, I want more. It's like the stock market, right? I want more. I want more. I want more. And like, at some point, like I just couldn't grow more traffic. I was like, let me make another site. And I was like, this takes forever. How am I going to keep building sites and finding out what people want to read or see and like make it and grow the traffic and build it? And I was like, this makes no sense. And like, I'm on the internet. And I'm like, this site has no ads, this site has no ads, this site has no ads. And I'm like, or it only had one ad. And I was like, I have access to a lot of advertising. Why don't I just contact all these guys and see who'll sell me their advertising? So I would call everybody up and be like, can I buy your ads, can I buy your ads? And they're like, okay, whatever, yeah, you're gonna give me money? And so I would just pay them 50% of what I was getting paid back then. And I would just aggregate all the different advertisers I had in different codes and I would buy ads on these other websites. And then I could scale to 10 times, 20 times, 100 nice. times what I had. But it was basically like a hustle. It was just call people up, buy their advertising, sell their advertising. And then all of a sudden it turned into a network. I hired people, we did creatives, we did things like that. And we just kept going by the seat of our pants and just building and building and building. How fast did you scale back then? Pretty fast. I mean... Was it tough? I mean, look, by, by today's standards of like being an entrepreneur, 
you'd probably say it was slow as shit. Yeah. But for then, I mean, now you start a business in one year, you're raising $100 million to yeah. go public. I mean, not, not always that fast, but, you know, from the idea stage now, I mean, you know, it was over the course of probably like five, six years that it took to build up and start scaling to something significant. But eventually by like year seven, year eight, you know, we're 12 people, 13 people. By year 10, you know, we're 80 people. Wow, because you built a real business. Yeah. And then while scaling that business, like this is a question I have, right? That I, I'm assuming other people would also wonder, like how did you figure out what positions you needed to fill through, as you were growing? Like I need a CFO, I need a CTO, a COO. I mean, I mean it's probably like a double part question. Like first you need to know what you need. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean people, I mean what skill sets. And not even skill sets, like, what disciplines you need in your business, right? You, you're, you're doing real estate. I doubt you need a tech guy. Yeah. Now, if you're building a platform to manage real estate and do stuff, yeah, you might need a tech guy, but you really need a CTO. So it's first you gotta figure out what you need. Like, are we providing products? Are we providing technology? Or are we just using other people's products and technology? Back then we were using other people's products and technology, so it didn't really make sense to have a CTO. Eventually we decided to build an ad server and do that kind of thing, so we did need a CTO. But you looked at it the same way. First, I had an accountant. I had a guy who would manage the finances. Eventually, you got to numbers that were in the millions, and you're like, hmm, maybe I need a head of finance. Yeah. And then those millions get to the point where you're like, well, maybe we're going to raise some money. So if I'm going to raise money, I'm going to need to talk to bankers. Yeah, maybe we do need a CFO. Okay. Right? And so that's how you get to that point. And you just, <clears throat> you just look at things as things build up, as different areas of the business build up, you know, do I need a head of sales? Okay, does that mean I need a CRO? Do I need a head of product? Do I need a chief product officer? Do I need a, you know, how many, and then at some point, you scale to the point where you're like, all right, I have over 100 people. Do I need a chief people officer? Yeah. Um, and, it's, and it's just like that. You keep building those disciplines up. I think the way I would typically look at it is I would hire someone in charge of that area, and when they couldn't succeed anymore, what's next? So maybe you'd hire a VP of finance. VP of finance is doing the finance thing, but you're getting to the point where, you know what, we need some more firepower. And this person can only go this far, right? Education-wise, experience-wise, we need more. So you get an EVP of finance. Yeah. And you up it. Okay, then you wait. And then eventually that person, you know, have you heard of like the Peter Principle? No. Like, so like, the Peter Principle is kind of like when you get to a point where, you know, you're almost like, lying to prove you're good enough, right? The job's too much beyond what you can handle. So you're kind of, you know, when you kind of see that flow happening, I mean, it's much more complex than that. I'm trying to give you a, the viewers kind of a more simplistic view of that. But you get to a point where, you know, your experience isn't good enough, right? And you try to hide that for a while, but eventually the person above you sees that and is like, listen, this is beyond your skill set. And at some point, you either have to fire that person or you have to bring in someone higher above them. And so then that's when you get, you get your VP, you get your EVP, your SVP. Your, then you're like, all right, kind of need a C-level because we're at that point. That was, that was literally the perfect answer to that question. Okay, thank I you. Yeah, I couldn't have explained it even close to as good as that. So I actually learned throughout that conversation, so I appreciate that. Sure. And then you talked about firing, like you'd have to fire somebody. Do you have any stories of stuff like that? And like, and you know, a lot of questions that people bring up when they DM me and they want to hear about talking about it, it's who they surround themselves with. Of course. They're always talking about 
you know, whether friends bring them down. It's almost like you're firing your friend if you... Yeah, it's, look, it's, it's tough, right? Firing people is tough. It's just, it's just, if it's easy, then you're probably a piece of crap. Yeah. <laughs> right, because you're literally destroying someone's life. I mean, unless you're working at a minimum wage job flipping burgers, like, if you have a job, that's your, that's your life. You know, it's a certain percentage of your life if you have a significant job. So, like, when you're firing someone, like, you're destroying their life, pretty much. Like, it feels terrible. But at some point, it's necessary because the way you look at it at some point is like, you're like, all right, here's the business, right? Mm -hmm. The only way for the business to thrive is to get rid of this bad egg to get it to the next level. I think you kind of look at it like, let's say you have a family of, like, you know, husband, wife, and you have... 15 kids. If one of your kids is beating up all the other kids, stealing food from them, robbing from them, you're gonna eventually have to kick one of those kids out because it's either everyone gets destroyed in the whole family or you're gonna have to sacrifice this one kid. I'm not saying kill him, but you're gonna have yeah. to say like, listen, I gotta kick you out of the house. Like, yeah. You're beating up all your brothers and sisters every day, you're a menace, right? I'm not gonna let the whole family suffer, right? We're gonna have to separate out the one child. Yeah. Like, in a business, it's like, Listen, the business is going to suffer if we don't reduce the headcount by one for this one bad egg. And it's tough, right? Because sometimes you're doing it because you need to cut costs because it wasn't such a great year. Sometimes you're doing it because someone can't succeed in that position and you need to bring in someone new. And sometimes people are just not successful. Well, they're only successful for a certain period of time. And so you just have to, you know, it's just a, it's a lot of work to figure out and to manage that. And you get to a point when you're running a business where you get to a level when you have a certain number of people where like, that's all you're really doing. I don't mean firing people, I mean evaluating people, managing people, discussing with people, mentoring people, and like, you don't really do yeah. what you did. Like, when the business started, I was helping writing ad code and like, buying, I was buying ads, selling ads, I was making creative, I was doing whatever I could. I was, I was doing stats, buying ads on Facebook when Facebook started, like, you name it, I was doing everything manually as were other people, not just me, but I don't think I do anything anymore, but I do, right? I run the business, I manage the finances, not from a CFO level, right? I have a CFO, but I'm having that reporting in. Yeah. So like, you're looking at everything, you're evaluating everything, and you're doing so much of that, you're not really like running the business anymore. You're okaying ideas, you're learning, you're reading about the industry, and you're figuring out what's next, and where we wanna go, and how we wanna spend our money, how we want to pivot, what products we want to create, but the actual nitty gritty, the more fun stuff of building and growing, you're not really doing that anymore once you get to a certain size. And once you get Different to a certain size, there's like balancing that corporate identity, right? And mm -hmm. do you have a chief people officer? Um, we did. You fired her? Him. Um, but it wasn't so much, that was more, you know, of a transition, right? We, at one point, we were probably well over 200 people, and we had plans to grow bigger, right? So we brought someone in to get to that level, and then, you know, in a bittersweet way, we sold half the business, right? Because we split out a certain portion of our business, and we got paid handsomely for it, and it was the right thing to do in, in hindsight and foresight at that time, um, and we sold it. So obviously, we cut staff down from yeah. 200 people to 100 people, and it just didn't really make much sense to have that much management overhead when you're managing less people. Yeah. 
So we had to figure out the best way to part ways. Any crazy stories that you had to fire somebody or anything insane? I mean, there's always insane stories. I mean, initially at one point, the first person I brought in and basically created as my partner, I to let him go eventually, but it was less firing, more amicable, but it was like, hey, listen, like, this can't work anymore. I mean, that was a shitty situation and not a lot of fun because it was a partner and we figured out how to buy him out of the business and he did well with his life for sure. Um, and that's great. The probably the funniest, it's not funny yeah. at all because firing anyone's not funny. I would say the best story and only more so because like they can't be funny this way anymore because I'm 41 years old, but I was probably like 25 and I had to let go of like someone probably my age now, right? He was probably in his late 30s, early 40s, family, wife, kids. He was in sales. And so he had to let him go. And like, I mean, you know, he worked for big corporations before and he like came to me and was like, he like just lost it, like balled out. No. And I'm like standing there as this like 25-year-old kid talking to like a 40-year-old man, like crying in front of me because I had to let him go. It was weird because I never experienced that and it felt like odd and wow. sad, comical, like everything all combined because here I am this child basically destroying an adult man's life and it just, even at that point, I didn't even conceptualize that concept. Like here's a man, like what am I, I'm a kid. Here's a man with kids, like little children, a wife, a family, a house, a mortgage, God knows what else he had, right? And now he's losing his job. And I'm sure he found a new job, et cetera, et cetera, and everything worked out for him. But at that time, that's like, holy shit, like, you know, I'm making whatever he was making, 150000 a year. Like, that's, that's tough. I couldn't conceptualize the difficulty of that. Now I can. But when I was 25 years old, we were just going, guns blazing, like, just building. Yeah. You don't fit, you fit, you don't fit. You know, it's, like, it's like building a puzzle. What it takes. Yeah. Right? But, well, aside from the empathy yeah. of... There's like no getting around that. It, yeah, it's just, it is what it is. And, it, and it's, it's, I think it's tougher as you get older because you know what that means. When you're a kid, you don't understand that. Mm-hmm. So, was, uh, those are the interesting times. Did right? you raise money for the company? At some point. You did? Yeah. How was that, being a kid raising money? Um, I don't know if you'd call me a kid then. I was probably in my early 30s. Oh, okay. When we did that. You were young, not a kid. Still young. Yeah, just not a kid. But and, and for the record, you're only 41 now, so that yes. was like under 10 years ago, what yeah, we're talking but about. but even when I was, like, you got to understand, like, I mean, I'm guessing for most of your fans that are watching the podcast, they're kids. And I don't mean they think they're kids, they think they're adults, but, like, to me, they're probably kids, because I'm 41 and they're probably in their 20s, so they're probably, you know, from that concept yeah. of experience. And when I was that age... You know, I got it. I understood that people had more experience, but like, you don't really understand it until you get there. And so like, you guys probably don't understand what the world was like 20 years ago. Yeah, no idea. Because you were five, mm-hmm. right? But when I was 22, it wasn't like this. And I don't mean from the sense of like, the internet and whatever. I mean from like, you weren't a 20 year old kid going out to raise a million dollars for some startup. like. When I was doing this, when I was in college, everyone was getting jobs. Like, 
you were, what are you doing when you graduate? Oh, Microsoft. I'm going to Microsoft. Entrepreneurship to, wasn't like a trend. I'm going to Apple. I'm going here. Like, there wasn't like, yeah, I'm going to start my own business. Like, everyone was like, if you got a job at Microsoft, because I was a computer science guy, like, that was it. You're set. I'm moving to Washington. I'm getting a job at Microsoft. My life is set for life. Like, Facebook didn't even exist when I graduated college. In hindsight, if you got stock options, you are set for life. Oh, my God. But there was no Facebook then even. Google wasn't even a thing. People weren't even getting jobs at Google. Like, it didn't exist. Like, Google wasn't even a search engine when I was graduating college. Wow. So, like, when you think about then, there wasn't raising money. There wasn't, like, accelerators and, like, you know, you go out and raise venture capital and seed funding. Like, that stuff, it existed. But the world of understanding it and knowing it the way it is now isn't the same. Yeah. Like, it was reserved for... I graduated Harvard, my dad knows these people, maybe I could talk to them. Now, seven clicks on a website and you're already putting a proposal together and a pitch deck out and you've got 40 people potentially investing in your business or yeah. at least calling you to get a meeting. Yeah. Like, you wanted a meeting with a, with a VC or a PE 20 years ago? It was almost next to impossible. Like, there was no such thing as kids who just started business. Now, maybe 12 years old. And if you built an app, you have someone calling you wanting to invest a million dollars in it. Like, it's a different world. Yeah. So it was real difficult then to do it. So when I was in my 30s and it was just easy, just call people, invest in that, yeah, whatever. And you find the right deal, take money. And yeah. I can appreciate when you're saying that because I know how, you, how actively you invest in like small yeah. startups and everything and crowdfunding, through mm -hmm. crowdfunding sites, everything. So you're one of those guys that now invests in these young people's businesses yeah. and stuff regularly. Sure. And that didn't exist, you're saying, when you were young. No, not even close. Like you wouldn't even know where to go because there just wasn't entrepreneurs like that. Like you weren't an entrepreneur in your 20s. It just wasn't realistic. Like you weren't even respected really then. Really? At that age. You were just and and it's so funny now because I heard your crazy stories about the guys you got to know and all that stuff. And I mean, do you have any funny stories or cool stories with these big time entrepreneurs today that everybody knows about? Because you got to know a lot of them growing up, right? Because yeah. you were launching a similar business. You were all in the same, I guess, web-based field. And yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know that I have crazy stories per se. I mean, they don't seem crazy to me. Yeah. But like, you look cool. at like... Cool stories. You like, you know, you watch, uh, whatever it was, the, the movie about Facebook, the one that came out a long time ago. Was it the social... Uh, network. Is that what they call it? The social, social network. network, yeah. All right, so, like, in the, like, some of those people, I knew them. Like, the guy who became the CRO that eventually got let go of Facebook, like, I was calling him and buying ads when they were starting up. Like, that's real. Now he's probably an untouchable guy who made billions of dollars, but yeah. like, there was a time when I was calling him up buying ads on the website because they yes, sold yes. banner ads. The guy with the curly hair in the movie. They I sold think. banner ads. The kid from Napster, like, I knew all these people. Like, they, like, like, I didn't know them well, but like, I've met them. Like, but yeah, he went out and he started Napster and he became a nutshell. But like, you didn't know, but around that time it was like, you know, probably I was probably five phone calls away from talking to Mark Zuckerberg if I really wanted to, to make a deal. Because we were probably spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on Facebook, which sounds like n absolutely nothing now. There's probably kids watching this going, I spend $100,000 on Facebook. Yeah. But then, Facebook brought in a couple million dollars a year. So I was probably one of their big advertisers. Wow. When they started. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit.
But lo and behold, they went where they went, and I didn't put money in when that was then. If I did, I probably had... You could have had the option? Make Peter Thiel money. I don't know. I could have probably bought secondary shares on a secondary market like 20 years before they went public. Wow. When they were just starting out. Yeah, why not? But I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to spend my hard-earned dollars. And you were young. And that kind of thing. There was like 12 social networks. Who knew Facebook was going to be the one then? Who even knew Google was going to be the search engine then? Yeah. You had Ask Jeeves and Dogpile and Lycos and Look Smart and God, there was so many search engines. Really? Now you got nothing. Google. There's no such thing as a search engine. It's well, just Yahoo Google. tried, right? Yeah, but and then Bing. Yahoo was bigger than Google. Back yeah. then. Yeah, who knows if you even know this? Yahoo almost bought Google for a million dollars. I heard about that, something like that, and they denied yeah. Google. And they said no. That was a billion dollars. A million dollars? No. You're lying. But then who knows if Yahoo would have made Google what it is today. Yeah, you never know. But they hustled and they did what they did. I mean, maybe it was, it, it certainly wasn't hundreds of millions of dollars. Maybe it was $5 million, $10 million, but whatever it was, it was peanuts. Peanuts compared to what the trillion dollar market cap that Google has now. Yeah, it's unreal. It's ridiculous. They're past a trillion already. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. Holy shit. You could have put money in these companies back then. Yeah. But you did put money in some companies back then, did you? Eh, I don't know. Not actively? No, I was mostly putting money in my own business. Got it. Which, you know, six one half dozen the other, could it have worked out better, could it have worked out worse? Who knows? But you built a company, and that's what it's yeah. always like. You know, I'm pumping money back in, and then I tell myself I should have yeah. just bought Bitcoin back in <laughs> March. Probably. I should have not stopped buying houses and yeah. just bought Bitcoin. Yeah. Or just not buy one house. And bought Bitcoin. Or buy 50 Bitcoin instead. Yeah. I could, have bought, I could have bought 100 Bitcoin back in March instead of buying instead a house of a I bought. a house for $400,000? Yes. Probably. And then I would be a millionaire in Bitcoin right now. I think way more. Right four now, million. as of today, yeah, you'd have $4 million. Yeah. And that house, house is just sitting there bringing <laughs> in $5,000 a month, that damn house. Yeah. In terms of investments, hindsight is like way more than 2020. It's like a million. Hindsight's everything. It is. It's insane. Hindsight can tell you this was the worst investment, was the best investment, but it doesn't explain the sentiment either. Because, like, let's be realistic. You bought a hundred. Let's say you bought a hundred Bitcoin at four thousand dollars. That thing shoots up to ten grand. You're probably out. Yes. Because you're gonna be. Oh my God! Look how high it is. Who knows it's gonna go to forty? Yeah. And I tell people this all the time. It's Bitcoin's at forty thousand dollars right now. Okay, maybe it's a little higher, give or take. Two weeks ago, what was it? Twenty. And I was talking to someone. I was like, it's definitely going to 50. I should just put a million dollars into Bitcoin. You told right me now. that. <laughs> right. You told, you called me. Did I put a million dollars in Bitcoin? Absolutely not. I didn't buy a single fucking coin. <laughs> I have like five coins. I never bought another one. But yeah, I could have at 20,000, but I didn't have the balls to do it. You texted, I have the text. You said, should I put a million dollars into Bitcoin? It's probably going to 50 grand. Yeah. And it is going to 50 grand. But now it's too late. It's already 40. I'm not going to risk. But the same point, it's like, here I am again. I'm not going to risk putting money into Bitcoin at 40000 because it's only going to go to fifty. But then when it goes to sixty, I'm going to be like, ah, shit. I should have put it in at forty. Or when it drops to twenty, I'm going to go, see? That's why I didn't buy it at forty. Yeah. But it's hindsight. You never know what's going to happen. So you take risks. You take bets. You do what you do. But at the end of the day, you can't, you can't go back and say... I bought Amazon at 500 and look, I sold it at 2000 What was I thinking? It's $3,300 a share right now. Mm-hmm. All right, but you made four times your money. Yeah. You just, you just can't know. 
So, you know, it's like you have to, you have to be grateful for the wins you get and not cry over spilt milk constantly because that's all you'll do. Yeah. You'll always make bad decisions, period. <laughs> Things will always end up being worth more later. You'll always sell them too soon or you won't buy them or you'll sell them too early or you'll make bad decisions. I mean, you can sit and be depressed your whole life for every wrong decision you made. But at the end of the day, it's very rare that someone could actually say, I sold this at the highest price anyone could have ever got it for ever in the history of the universe. And look at it now. It's never going to be worth that again. Yeah. I'm a genius. Maybe one person can say that about one investment. Yeah. You can't. Right? You're always going to sell at some height and it's probably going to go higher. You can't ever say you're at the perfect spot. Mm -hmm. And so you got to just be happy when you make money. I get it. Now, another thing. I'd like to talk about how we met as well, because obviously most people don't know, but you host a business pitch competition at Hofstra University. Correct. So Mike went to Hofstra University. He's an alumni. He got me involved in the alumni groups as well. He got me into donating back to the school. I never thought I would donate after paying tuition in my life. And he explained to me why that's a wrong way to think about these things. And Mike hosts a business pitch competition every year where you give away $100,000 worth, worth of prizes to uh, entrepreneur students that have businesses and ideas and want to do something with themselves other than get a traditional job out of school. Um, hopefully, right? So I won that competition with a group of kids five years ago, mm -hmm. I think it was now. And, uh, and we became friends after that. And, uh, and I showed you what I was doing in real estate, and then we partnered up and all that good stuff. So you have tons of experience in listening to pitches and investing in, in young entrepreneurs. And I want you to talk about if, if I was to pitch you or another kid was to pitch you a business idea, right? What do you look for? What are those tips, tricks, overall things that you look for and want to see when investing 20,000, 100,000, a million dollars in a young entrepreneur? Drive, motivation, and, you know, just overall knowledge. Of the field. And, and, and not of the field, just wanting knowledge of being an entrepreneur. Okay. Which is something, like, innate in your DNA. Yeah. I need to see that. So the truth is, pitch doesn't matter. Okay. The business doesn't matter. They never, you know, they never work out. Out of every business that's successful now, it didn't start out anywhere near what it does now. It just didn't. Yeah. And that's a fact. Businesses flip, businesses change. The ones that succeed, you know, ultimately are the ones that were started by someone who was going to succeed. So it doesn't matter how you invested in it. And I've, you know, I've made mistakes in that not investing appropriately in entrepreneurs. I'll give you a perfect example. I'm making sure I remember the names. And it's funny. I'm sure he's not going to watch this. Um, I invested in a company that I, I went to like a pitch thing at uh, IAC, IAC building years ago. They did like an accelerator and there's a bunch of kids coming out of the accelerator. Some company, localized, vocalized, whatever the hell it was, I 
threw in 10 grand to this kid's business. Didn't work out. Two years later, business went under. Okay. About two years later, got an email from the kid. Hey, everyone, I'm starting a new business. Then I said, how do you want to put money? And I was like, and I thought to myself, I'm like, you know, obviously he's an entrepreneur, but I didn't have that mindset then. I was like, fuck him. He burned my $10,000. I don't want to invest in that. That's crazy. Do you know who that kid is? Who? Ever heard of a company called Casper? Yeah, of course. The mattresses? Mm-hmm. Wow, the Indian kid? No, he's not an Indian kid. Different what is kid, he? but regardless, the kid who started Casper. Really? Who founded it. He, I invested in his previous company, and I could have jumped into Casper at, like, angel round. Wow. But I didn't, because I was like, but knowing what I know now, I followed an entrepreneur. I just didn't re-up with him. Yeah. And that was my mistake. I thought he was an Indian kid from the city or something. No, white kid. Really? Yeah. But is he from Manhattan? That's where I met him. I don't know if he's from Manhattan. So they raised $100 million at a billion dollar valuation by ta- from Target. Like two year, a year Casper and a half, two years yeah. ago. Crazy. I crushed it. Yeah. Wow. So you could have gotten like basically pre-seat. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'd have made a lot of money off that. But it's, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Who knows? Yeah. Could have worked out, could have not. But the point is, the kid failed. But he succeeded. And the point is, that business was nothing then. The original business. But he was an entrepreneur. He had the mindset. He had the drive. He knew what he wanted. Is that why you buy purple mattresses? <laughs> no, no, I buy purple mattresses. But, you know, it's funny because it's like, you know, if I, if I look back at myself as a kid, always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Always wanted to start my own business. Always want, I always had that knack, that drive, that I was going to be the boss. I was going to make money. I was going to start a business. So it is innate in who you are, in your DNA. It's just something you are, something you're born with. Yeah, I, I agree. So that's what you look to invest in. That drive, that tenacity, that type of human. It's not about the business. So you have to be able to read people. Yeah, it's like playing poker. You've got to be able to read people. Yeah. And know who you're investing in, not necessarily the business. Because the business will change. But if you invest in the right person, they'll find the right way to make something happen. Well said. Well said. A lot of people are always looking to raise money in their first business and everything. And usually I advise uh, if they don't put in their, their own money first, you know, if they're not willing to risk anything or try then how can they expect to raise outside money? Well, nobody's going to put money in if you're not willing to put money in. Of course. If you're not investing in yourself, nobody's investing in you. Of course. Hands down. You must get these pitches all the time. Every day. Really? I mean, really, sometimes I just get like random emails about, with a pitch deck about something. And honestly, I just delete them. Really? Yeah, because how do you even know who I am? Yeah. You don't even know me. Find out a way to get in touch with me, to talk to me, to speak to me. Don't just send me a deck over the wall and expect me to be like, oh my God, it's a deck. I want to, again, I want to see the entrepreneur. Not see, I want to feel that, that that's who you are. Yep. And if you're that person and you want me to invest in your business or anyone, 
you'll find a way to connect with that person and get them to reach out. And it's not going to be from some over-the-wall email yeah. that I'm just going to respond to, or certainly not one with a pitch deck in it asking me to invest in your business. Definitely. That I'm going to delete. But if you say something different, a certain way that gets me to connect and we get to that point eventually where we can talk about a business, yeah, maybe I'll invest because I'll see that way that you use that motivation, that drive to figure out how to get what you needed done. I asked you for advice a hundred times before you invested a penny with me. And now still, till this day, when we talk, you tell me you're not thinking big enough. You're not thinking big Always. enough. And I love that answer. Honest to God, you recommended to me my favorite book, which I recommend very, I'm very picky with who I recommend it to, Zero to One, I tell you all the time, by Peter Thiel, incredible, my eye-opening. And I recommend it only to people I think have big minds, you know, and sure. could think like that. But that's like the definition of everything you were explaining at a big, a big capacity, mm -hmm. right? Like you think big. And, uh, and we're talking about this now, like after all this time in your businesses and everything you've done, and it's almost like you're looking for something eye-opening again and exciting. And, yeah. Right? It's like it's, it's I mean, in it, you. It's certainly not my business, and my business is fairly big but it's not zero to one big. Yeah. Right? Zero to one big is about truly game-changing, unrepeatable business. Something nobody else can copy. And that's just truly one in a million, maybe one in a billion. Um, but can't everyone copy something? Like Uber has Lyft, right? Yeah. Or Google, I can't think of. Uh... Um, but it's about being the first mover. Okay. And obviously, anything can be copied eventually, but, you know, the idea of Uber was really, you know, a zero-to-one type of idea. Yeah. But yeah. even that, I don't know. You know, based on that concept, maybe it wasn't. Well, now it is. Maybe because it was just too repeatable. Mm -hmm. right? it, didn't, it didn't stand alone on itself enough that it just cornered and owned a market. What do you think Peter Thiel's Palantir is a zero-to-one idea? I don't know if that's a zero-to-one idea. I mean, to, to some degree, I would say there are almost no more zero-to-one ideas because of the world we live in. Now. Yeah, but that concept of being a revolutionary is still what excites. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it is the time that stops being about the money mm -hmm. and it becomes more about the vision. Yeah, I agree. I'm not even close to, you know very wealthy or anything like that even wealthy i don't think so whatsoever but like you know i i i do well with real estate but it's not enough you know i still i'm i'm dying for something you know like you tell me think bigger all the time well if you want it it'll come eventually yeah you'll find it you just got to keep looking yeah hopefully we could do something soon enough and we'll then we'll go fun. back to this podcast and then we'll say see three days ago we were thinking about it and look yep and we hit up jeff bezos six and he days did. later and look at us <laughs> so tell me about the stock market your investments lately give us some uh, some tickers that other people should be investing in oh disclosure yeah. i'm not his attorney i don't want to be the, i don't want to be the one to tell everyone to lose all their money <laughs> i make bets stock market's betting Mike has killed, you've killed it in the stock market. I've done well. Since COVID started. But I think everyone's done well since COVID started. So yeah. The market's just been on a tear. If you have two eyes and ears, and you yeah. can, even For if you sure. have one. Yeah. Right? 
People have, I've heard stories of people becoming millionaires off of Tesla alone. Oh, yeah. If you make the right play at the right time for the right cash, yeah. You can. Give me an idea for next week. What do you have in mind? I want to invest in something Monday based on this conversation. Ugh. Let me see. Let me, let me see if I have something, some, some magic wisdom. Your last call, MicroStrategy, which I didn't invest in, absolutely mm-hmm. boomed. It's like doubled in the past few weeks. <clears throat> Do I have something right now? Not uh, Casper mattresses. No, not Casper mattresses. Um, you know, it's a good question. If I knew, you would I'd tell know. me. No, if I knew, but uh, it's not that I wouldn't tell you. But if I knew, I'd have something that I was going to play right now. Um, First one that comes to mind. Um, no, that's not a good one. Maybe APPN looks What's like that? it's a plugin. What is it? You know, I don't really know. It's just showing up on a list. Really? Mm hmm. And that's what you're going to fund next? Oh, I don't know that I'm going to fund it. I'll look into it. No, I don't know that I'd recommend for anyone else to fund into it, but. Uh, but it's amazing. Yeah, I think it's a mobile app, something or other company. And before before we come to the end of uh, of the podcast, I want to talk about life outside of business, mm-hmm. how it's transitioned, how you balanced. I remember we spoke a while ago, and I told you my girl problems. Like I can't seem to have a steady girlfriend because they can't accept my lifestyle in, the, in business. I'm working twenty four seven. So how's that transition for you over the past twenty something years? Hmm. Um, just gotta find the right people and that means finding the right person who can accept what really balancing out between you know and you have to learn you have to learn how to balance yourself between being a you know I'm a husband so you gotta balance being a husband and being an entrepreneur and reality is they're two completely different Animals and you're a dog dad, sure, and a stepdad, and yeah, God knows what else. But you know, I think you know you got to look at it like, you know, being an entrepreneur is not the same as being a partner in a relationship. Being an entrepreneur means telling other people what to do, expecting people to do things for you, pushing people around, motivating people, right? But that's not always what a good partner does. Right? A good partner in a relationship is more about sharing and burdens and listening and hearing and communicating. That's not what an entrepreneur generally does. Right? That's what a, more of a, what a therapist does versus an entrepreneur. Right? An entrepreneur gets down to business yep. and makes sure to, to motivate people to succeed, but ultimately is pushing people to succeed. Relationships don't always need the same kind of motivation needs to come from different angles. So I think you really got to balance your personal relationship life from your work, you know, life, your entrepreneur life. That's the only way to make work. I mean, that's what I've learned over the years. Yeah. Um, and you also have to find someone who's willing to understand that you are an entrepreneur also. And maybe you can give equal weight to being a partner and an entrepreneur and not have to have one come first. 
but they're almost equal, right? Your business life, you're being an entrepreneur, you're running a business this is a very important aspect to your life, as important as being a partner. And you have to find the best way to balance it, but have a partner who can understand that that's your life and that could be part of their life too. So it's important. Got it. Interesting. Cool. Well, Mike, where could people uh, follow you and see more, DM you or reach out, anything? Instagram, Twitter? I'm on both of them. Do you know your tag or I'll just put it in the comment section? Yeah. It's CPX CEO. CPX CEO. So if anybody has questions for Mike or anything, I can't guarantee you will answer. Probably not, but <laughs> shoot him a I'll DM. I'll do my best. <laughs> Let him know you heard it on the podcast and... Uh, and I hope it works out. Mike, thanks for joining. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And hopefully next time we could uh, have this conversation on a nice beach with no COVID. Yeah, if we do it next year. Soon <laughs> enough. Cool. Thank you. You are now listening to Talk Shop with Alan Evgee.